Hello and welcome to the Career Builders Podcast. I'm Mike Bird. And I'm Lisa Bekosek. And today we're talking about creating an environment for success. Like environment for success. What does that even mean, Lisa? <laughs> it's a great question. And it's really everything around you that you have control over that can help you to be successful in your career. So there's a lot of things that we don't have control over in our career, but mm -hmm. there are also a lot of things that we do have control over. And if we can suss these things out at the beginning of our careers or at any point, really, when we start to think about it, uh, it really allows us to be as successful as possible. Okay, that makes total sense. So it can involve everything from like the physical location that we work in, the people mm -hmm. we work with, the policies and the culture of the workplace. Is there, are there other things that are a factor here? Yeah, I mean, um, generally, Things like our relationships with other people, like you said, our physical work environment, but it can also be things like our personal connection, mm -hmm. um, our ability to build relationships, um, our ability to create systems for ourselves. So there's a lot that comes into play in that environment. Okay, cool. Tell me a little bit more about what uh, an environment that would allow a person to be successful in, in their workplace, what would that look like? It can depend on the person. It can yeah. be very unique to the person who's in the, the situation. Okay. So we really need to be aware of our own unique abilities, our skills, the things that we like, the things that we don't like. Mm -hmm. um, and that will help us to be more successful. Because if you think that this is kind of a strange example, but if you're a procrastinator, there's a reason that you're procrastinating. So you mm -hmm. can actually use that to your advantage in your environment to be able to be successful. But if you're fighting against it constantly, then you may not be as successful as somebody who isn't a procrastinator and uses that to their advantage. Okay. So if someone was to go out and look at themselves in their workplace and say, how could I make my workplace environment more conducive to success? What, where does the conversation start to go from there? I would say the first is to start with your relationships. Okay. Um, we had talked a little bit in the pre-show about mentorship mm -hmm. and you had mentioned that you have some experience with that. So tell me a little bit about your experience with mentorship. Yeah. I mean, I've had many people that I've reported to as bosses throughout my career and of that collection of people, there's, there've been a handful within that who I would say have been really true mentors to me. And those are people that have had a really invested interest in terms of my own development and how I was doing my job and was not really, these are people who were not afraid to tell me, you know, without mincing words, uh, when I wasn't doing a very good job of something or where I could improve or when I was doing something really, really well and would celebrate, you know, those moments of, of triumph or victory or development, how, however you want to look at it. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I kind of see them in a different class versus the people that I've just sort of reported to quote unquote, and there was nothing wrong with those people, nothing at all. It's just the relationship in each of those cases was a little bit different. And to have someone that was really, let's just say in, in my corner. And I felt that even when sometimes the love was very tough, that was super important to me at some very key times in my career. Mm -hmm. And I love what you said about having people in your corner. I think mm -hmm. that that's a really big part and it doesn't just have to be a mentor. It can be a whole number of people like your manager, a mentor, it could be friends, it could be family members. 
So it doesn't just have to be in the workplace, but it could also be outside of the workplace. Yeah, absolutely. What's neat is that I've been able to carry a lot of my um, mentors from my past uh, to other career workplace endeavors. So I've been able to actually take the people that were mentors to me long, they were mentors to me a long time ago. And ultimately they're still mentors to me now. They're just not in the same workplace that I'm in right now. So it's, they're relationships that have been extremely beneficial for me long-term long after I've actually left their, their direct presence. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. There's another component of friendships at work too. And it's not something that you necessarily think of as being extremely important to your mm -hmm. success in your overall career. But somebody recently gave me a stat and I will look up where the stat came from, but people who have a best friend at work or even just a, a close friend at work mm -hmm. are more likely to stay at their job than people who don't. I believe that. Yeah. Intuitively, that makes lots of sense. Because you're spending all your time there. You're yeah. really able to vent about things or you're able to get support when you need it. So I think that that's a big part of enjoying yourself at work. Yeah, totally. Or like if you could imagine it from just sort of like our tribal communal past as humans, like it would be very difficult, I think, to be in a tribe that wasn't innately your own or in some way that you had no connection to. So I, I can understand that very, very intuitively that how important it is to have people in your workplace that you feel connected to personally and not just professionally. Mm -hmm. And so it's important to start building this type of support and relationships once you start your job. So whether it's a new job, whether it's a new career, whether you're just starting out, um, there are steps that you can take specifically to be able to build those relationships. And whether that's going for coffee with new coworkers, whether it's reaching out and asking your manager who the important people mm -hmm. in your company are, that will be able to help you not just in your day to day, but also longer term that you can build relationships with. I find that that's a really great tip for people who are starting out at a new job. Makes a lot of sense. Thinking back into your own career, what are some of the other sort of social elements that you have tapped into to help create a more successful environment in the workplace? I found that there was a, one of the first jobs that I was in, it, I, it was a difficult job for me. It was one of my, my first finance jobs and it was long hours and it was a lot of stress. And the, the department that I was working in, they used to have weekly snack days. Hmm. And on Wednesdays in the afternoon at two o'clock, they had assigned everybody in the department a day for the, I think it was six months out. And it was just half an hour that everybody would take a break from their work, go and socialize, even if it was for five or 10 minutes. And it was such a nice, subtle thing hmm. that I tried to implement in other jobs that didn't necessarily work, <laughs> but it, it, it really made a difference in that very first career that I was a part of. That's neat. I've, I can kind of relate to a similar thing being in a workplace where there are a lot of birthdays celebrated and someone for some, you know, out of pure kindness has baked a cake for a colleague. And so it almost seems like once a week I'm having cake at work sometimes, <laughs> but, uh, those are moments where, yes, you just kind of get to disconnect from the actual tasks at hand and actually be in 
a really nice, pleasant social situation with your colleagues. And no, it, 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 it's something that I look forward to and reflect back on very fondly when it happens. Yeah. And you can also, sorry, you can also chat about things outside of work. So if you only ever talk to somebody about a, a job that you're working on or a project that you're working on, now you have an excuse to go and say, what did you get up to this weekend? Instead of always being so targeted. Yeah, no, I, I can definitely fall into some major, um, ruts when it comes to work in terms of not paying enough attention to what is going on personally in the lives of my colleagues and just being maybe a little bit too work oriented at times and in our discussions. So that, that helps for sure when you can get away from it. Mm -hmm. What have you found in your career in terms of relationship building that's helped you outside of the mentoring? Uh, Past the mentoring, I mean, certain people that I've worked with, I've really been able to build relationships off of, you know, we're not just friends in our professional environment, but we have real friendships outside of that. And sometimes I've I've been fortunate that I've been able to actually have some really great personal and professional breakthroughs through just the friendships that I've been able to make in certain places. Um, when I think back to when I went off to learn French, that came from that professional opportunity came from a personal tie that I had nurtured. It was a a professional setting in which we were sort of introduced to one another in, but we would spend regular time just, you know, going out to dinner, having a drink, just being able to be in one another's company. And years later when I was looking for something very, very specific and my, my buddy was able to kind of match me with an opportunity that, that fit that, that need really, really well. That's when I was able to sort of lean heavily on, on that relationship and what we had built over time to create a situation in my work that was just perfect for me. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you never really know where those more personal connections at work might lead you, but they can be super beneficial to your career long-term, mm-hmm. not just in the present moment. I feel like that actually ties a little bit too into another environment strategy that you can mm-hmm. use mm-hmm. for success in that, you know, being really good at your job can lead to referrals and stuff like that yep. down the road. Um, so there was a, a job that I had and I was working with somebody, but we didn't work together very often. And I ended up getting a promotion based on the work that I was doing because she really enjoyed just the fact that I was very dependable. I was mm-hmm. always on time. The work was always very thorough. So you actually do have control over your ability to get those referrals, which doesn't yep. seem like something that you have control over, but when you're doing great work, you're setting yourself up for success longer term. Yeah, absolutely. The more that you can do great work in the place that you are in, the better your chances of creating that future referral possibility, whether it's for a job or for some sort of client work, if you're more of an entrepreneur or an independent contractor, that's, yeah, it's an invaluable part of your career. And I find that a lot of people when they're first starting in their career, they tend to be looking to the next opportunity, mm-hmm. which is important as well. It's really yep. important to start planning for that next step. But while you're planning, you have to make sure that you're performing at the highest level possible. Yeah. Yeah. Going hard where you're at and just delivering or surpassing the expectations that have been put on you. Uh, I mean, it's, 
it's very, very simple, but it's, it's often hard to do in terms of the discipline and the consistency that's required. But that's, that's how a lot of great careers are built. Mm -hmm. Okay. What else comes to mind when it comes to building a great work environment? So thinking about that next step in your career. So looking towards that next job, Mm -hmm. if there's something that you specifically know that you want to do, so let's say, just because I know the finance world, let's say you're a finance manager and you want to move up to director level. Sure. The best thing that you can do in that situation is find somebody that you look up to. So find a role model and say, what does this person do that I can start learning at my current job mm-hmm. or outside of my current job? How can I build the skills that I need in order to continue to move forward and get ahead? That is totally logical. It reminds me also of another sort of career building strategy um, that I've learned over the years in terms of if you, there's in addition to modeling yourself after somebody else who's already kind of one rung above you on a career ladder, if you can find a way to sort of attach yourself to a person who is also climbing a ladder, a -hmm. lot of the time they may take you with them as they are going and making their ascent in their career. I mean, that's, um, I can refer to just the sports world. That's how a lot of coaching staffs, for example, are built. If you're looking at something like the NFL or the NHL or any, any kind of major college sports program, the people that coach those teams are usually, tied to somebody who made a a quick ascent through the ranks or a faster ascent than, than others. And they took their connections with them to their Mm. new, their next opportunity. That's great insight. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So I don't know if that applies to absolutely everywhere, but when you can take, when you have the opportunity to sort of build a team from scratch, like that would be one of the strategies that I would be thinking about being in that position, asking myself that question of, you know, like who would I love to have on this team based on past experiences with them. And ultimately if they've delivered in those past experiences, the way that we're talking about it now, it becomes an easy hiring decision. Yeah. And I've seen that a lot in the corporate world as well. When somebody goes to, to head up a new team, mm-hmm. they often take their best people with them. Yeah. So it makes absolute sense. Cool. Let's talk communication and vulnerability then. So how can those two things play a role in creating an environment for success? A lot of people shy away from vulnerability because it seems it can be seen as weak in Mm -hmm. some circumstances, but there's increasing uh, importance put on vulnerability and the ability to have a direct open conversation with somebody about what it is that you're looking for and Mm -hmm. whether or not you're happy. So when you're starting out in your career, what that looks like is asking for help. It could be really tough when you're in a new role to ask for help because you're, you may think this, what if this person thinks that I'm dumb for asking this question or Mm -hmm. what if I'm supposed to know this already, but you're not going to get very far if you're holding yourself back just because you're afraid of what that other person is going to think. So being vulnerable enough to say, I actually don't know this. Is there some way that you can help me to get to this next step can really go a long way. Yeah. It can be absolutely huge and go very far. I would say that was, you're talking about, you know, the feeling of being inadequate or not good enough by seeking help. That belief 
limiting belief really sank me a number of times when I was in university. And had I been able to address that, then I would have been a much better university student. Uh, so that's something that I just can look into my past and say, yes, absolutely. Seek help. It's, it is, if anything, I mean, that's, that's a sign of strength. For sure. And I can remember my first job and my first manager sitting me down and he said to me, you're always trying to take things on by mm. yourself. And this is a team asking for help. There's nothing wrong with asking for help. That helps the whole team, not only because you might be asking a question that sparks an idea in somebody else or brings about knowledge that somebody else was wondering about. Um, there's so many different facets to asking a question and benefits that can come from it. So I really learned from my first manager to say, you know, you need to ask. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of communication, I know for me, I would say that I would say at least 75% of the emails that I send out where I initiate a conversation with someone, um, maybe even better than 75%, there's always a really strong line of questioning being built into the message. I'm, I'm someone who's, who loves to kind of activate other people through the communications and asking questions that allow movement to be generated. You know, how, how are we planning on doing this? What's our, what's our situation here? Like just being really open and curious about how other people on the team are kind of functioning. Mm -hmm. That's been a way where I've, I've tried to, to kind of lead through influence as we were kind of talking about a little bit last week. But, uh, is that, is that something that's true for you as well? Yeah, absolutely. And it's also something that um, it actually makes you seem more invested yeah, and more interested in what's happening because so even if you're afraid to ask questions, asking questions shows that you're, you're there, you're present, you're mm -hmm. moving forward. Yeah, no, it takes, you take ownership of the process for sure. Mm -hmm. Okay. You said something a moment ago about the vulnerability. So if I could just jump back to that actually, in addition to asking for help, I think being in an environment where people are free to sort of, they can speak their minds in a way that's respectful personally. And I know we've talked a, a bit about this before, but the idea of sort of, if you're in a meeting and there are different points of view that are almost battling it out in conversation, really great high functioning teams have a way of being able to do that and respecting, you know, the vulnerable parts of one another. Mm -hmm. So there's this intense, but impersonal battle happening in terms of ideas and plans and debate, which can yield really great tactics that wouldn't have come out of sort of, you know, plain, kind of mushy conversation where no one was really speaking their, their mind. Mm -hmm. And when a leader can kind of create that environment in a room where, you know, we're probably going to get a little bit emotional and intense here on some things, but when the meeting is over, we're going to walk out of here and be, we're fine. Like we're, we're still friends. Mm -hmm. We're still colleagues. We're still very professional. And it's not something where we feel like we've been, personally attacked that to me is a huge element 
of workplace success that a lot of people, a lot of companies struggle with. For sure. Yeah. So on that point, if you're somebody who's in an organization or an environment where your leadership team is Mm -hmm. not bringing that environment, how could you as an employee take steps to make that more of a reality for yourself? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think it will depend a lot on kind of the subtle nuances of, of who the leaders in the room are and how they function. Um, I know that sometimes it will feel like a really high risk thing asking a question that's really direct um, and it might upset some people. But I, I think that's one of the ways that you can go about sort of breaking down a tendency for a group to not really address the real concerns that the team members might have. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, just kind of fearlessly putting out a question into the group and say, you know, like, if we think about this, you know, as adults with some maturity here, what comes to mind? We're not delivering on X. What can we do Y to bring us the outcome, you know, to X that we want? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I think that there's a piece there too around creating agreements to, to kind of set the stage and yeah. break the ice almost or yeah. create a safe space by just up being upfront and saying, I have a concern and I'm not, I, I don't want to ruffle any feathers, but I think it's really important that we talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've even apologized in advance to some people when I said like, I'm about to say something, it's going to make someone upset here. Um, but bear with <laughs> me, you know, it's not, that's not the intention. And then, move forward from there. And that doesn't guarantee that you aren't going to upset the person. Uh, it just, it gives them a heads up that you are trying to approach a situation from as professional a standpoint as you can come from. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. It still doesn't mean it doesn't guarantee that the, the meeting won't just completely erupt into total emotional chaos, but at the same time getting some practice at sort of resolving those tough conflicting, those tough conflicting situations that can be really, really, really good for a team too. Mm -hmm. And I think too, that there's something to be said, you know, you don't always have to wait for a leader to do something before you go ahead with it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that that can be true in a manager relationship as well in terms of vulnerability. If you feel like you want a more vulnerable relationship with your manager, it doesn't have to come from them. You can actually start that conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Be bold. Go and do it. Be bold and you can take small steps. And there's a lot to be said for managing up. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Let's talk a little bit about that, actually. That's a really important skill that isn't a natural thing, I find, in a lot of people. True. So yeah. what does managing up mean? It means being able to, to me at least, it means being able to direct or influence somebody who is higher up on a ladder, a hierarchy than you are, might be your boss, might be another level above that, uh, a manager, and just to sort of bring light to various issues that need to be addressed and presenting, you know, in, in strong, assertive ways, some ways that that you can actually address issues that are coming up. So to me, that's one of the things that comes up there when it comes to managing up. Is Does that sort of match up with your definition or 
would do something yeah. a little bit differently? I think that that's, I think that mine is very similar. I think that yeah. the only thing that I would add on is around making things easier for the team yeah. by managing not gaps or I don't want to say weaknesses, mm-hmm. but uh, seeing opportunity and taking taking control of those opportunities. So yeah. for example, if your manager isn't very good at scheduling yep. and you are very good at scheduling, yeah. that's probably why they hired you. So, you know, take advantage of that and help them to schedule. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good concrete example of it. I mean, uh, I have been around leaders that have said, you know, my, my personal assistant or my, my executive um, assistant without them, like, I don't know how I would function. I heard a guy speak at a conference last spring and he said, I've been retired for a year. This was ahead of school. I've been retired for a year. And it's like, I've forgotten how to run 50% of my life because I no longer have my direct assistant, you know, with me daily. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, that is the power that, that the people in those positions can have for sure. And yes, organization is a great, great place where a lot of leaders kind of struggle because their plates are so full. Absolutely. And if you notice that there's something that your manager often complains about or sees a problem with, you can be proactive and take that and kind of run with it Mm -hmm. and give them a solution before they even ask about the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Asking, you know, I've seen this, um, issue X has come up, um, I know a couple of details, this and that on it. Do you want me to handle it or would you prefer to take it? Yeah, exactly. And following up too, because our managers often have so much going on that they might not remember all of the things that are on your plate. So being able to take responsibility for what you're doing and if they haven't come to you, go to them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's been a skill that can be really that's a skill for me that I've really been working on in the last couple of years, actually. So it's, uh, I see a lot of value in it for sure. Mm -hmm. And around that, it makes me think of, uh, creating systems for Mm -hmm. yourself. So this can be helpful no matter what stage you're at in your career, but whether it's email systems, whether it's reminder systems, whether it's time blocking, there are ways to help you be successful and manage your time. That's going to allow you to worry less about the little things and focus more on the big things. Yeah. Okay. What are some of your go-to strategies when it comes to email and scheduling that allow you to be more successful? So the funny thing is that when I was an accountant, my email system was Mm -hmm. impeccable. I Hmm. basically had rules for all of the emails coming in. If it was from my manager, it would go into a specific folder. If it was about a specific subject, it would go into a folder and all of it was automated. So I didn't have Hmm. to do anything. Um, now that I'm an entrepreneur, I don't have as many systems and I really struggle with my emails. So, um, I, I, it's something that I'm, I'm continuously working on, but just having thought of that, it's like, Oh yeah, I can probably implement some of those. Nice. We build ourselves on the Career Builders podcast. Yeah, pretty much. Um, Some of the other ones that I really enjoyed was time blocking. Yeah. So even blocking out. So if if I was working on a specific project or a task, I would actually close my email Mm -hmm. so that I could focus specifically on the task at hand instead of constantly because I would be working on my computer and I would get the notifications that a new email would come in and then my mind would automatically wander. Yeah. 
Yeah, I've read that it takes like a it's like a twenty minute period to refocus on a task at hand after you've been distracted off of it. So, I mean, it it can save a lot of time and just wasted effort if you're constantly battling distractions in the background. I have to do the same when it comes to really attention specific tasks, such as uh, like when I edit our show, for example. I basically, you know, my phone goes into either another room or another part of the room and I just I'm sitting down and I'm working away to make sure that you know I'm giving my full attention and effort to the task at hand makes a huge difference and it would take me so much longer if I had my phone sitting next to me for sure yeah 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 one of the other systems that I really like is uh taking notes okay So when I was in my corporate job, I would have a very specific way of taking notes where it would have the date, it would have the topic, it would have have who was involved. Mm -hmm. And then I would just have my full page of notes so that when something came up six months down the road, I was very unlikely to remember that exact Mm -hmm. situation or the Mm -hmm. conversation, but I had good enough notes that I could go back and say, oh, it looks like we talked about this and this is what came of it. Yep. Yeah. I'm a little bit, a little bit like you. I love... Uh, I have a steno notepad, like a little, I guess it's like a four by six inch notepad that sits on my desk and I take it everywhere with me. Uh, so I'll go into a meeting for example, and I'll often have my computer with me, which is just something that's there in case I need, you know, digital access to files or a presentation or an email or schedule or something like that. But Anything that comes, any information that comes from a meeting for me goes into the notepad and not some sort of digital uh, list um, storage mechanism. So like I love Evernote, for example. I think it's really useful and I can take information from all over the internet and put it into one spot. I can take notes and put it into one spot, pictures. But I am not someone who wants to sit at a meeting like typing on my keyboard, listening Mm -hmm. to people. I find that I find that really distracting when other people are doing it. So I'm a big fan of just having that notepad there and like your system, it's dated so that I can turn back in time when someone brings up something into the notepad and, and what do you know, like, boom, there's the exact piece of information that I need and it hasn't, you know, I don't have to search through some sort of database to go get it. Yeah, for sure. That's smart. Yeah. Thanks. Very old school. (laughs) It's great though. Yeah. And everyone will have a system that works for them, whatever that system is. Yep, totally. Yeah, I'm not. There's no judgment on the the folks that are using computers all of the time. I know that's a very common practice in lots of environments now. For me, it's not ideal. Uh, but hey, if it if it works for you, all power to you. For sure, and that's the awareness that you have of your personal style. Yep. Yeah. Totally. What do you have to add to that in terms of systems that you find helpful for you? I don't know if this is a great strategy or not. I typically won't open an email until I'm ready to really address what's in it. If I know what the email is about. Nice. Oftentimes I will kind of open a batch of emails. I'll skim them. I'll get a sense. I'll sort of diagnose what, what's going on in the message, what has to be done, what actions have to be taken. And if it's one of those things sort of like, David Allen's two minute rule. If you can do it in two minutes, like I'll, I'll address it and get it out of the way. Um, but I'm not someone who likes to read through emails and address them all, you know, regardless of what they are. Like I won't spend one minute on one email, five on another, 15 on another, go back and do three, 
emails across two or three minutes. To me, I would rather sort of batch like the really small things together mm-hmm. and find some time in the day to take care of the bigger, the bigger chunks of work that have to be done. Um, so I, I do a lot of, I guess, email skimming. So I'll read it really quickly. If I'm going to come back to it, I'll mark it as unopened because for me, basically once I've opened an email and I've addressed it, it goes into a pile of opened emails that I don't, I deliberately put further down in my email interface. So I basically have a little bit of a to-do list in my email inbox, which I know is not everyone's favorite strategy, but for me, it's one of the ways that I organize myself. It's not the only way I do it, but that's, it's a way that I can manage my, my email inflow. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Are you a fan of, of that? Have you ever used an email inbox as a to-do list? I tend to try to do that, but, and it worked in my work environment, but in my personal life, I find that it just is, I get too many promotional emails and things Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. And things get pushed down the list way too quickly. So they're, they're just gone. Yeah. Okay. So it looks like we have so much content on this topic that we're going to have to do a part two. So for now, thanks so much for joining us. We will get back to you on this topic. If you love it and you want to rejoin us, we'll be back in a week's time. So for the Career Builders Podcast, I'm Mike Berg. I'm Lisa Pekosek. And we'll hopefully have you again next week. Bye for now. Take care.